Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Very good. Well, I hope you've all got this handout. Um, and uh, we're just going to follow our way through there. The very first thing I'm going to do is do nothing except ask you the question, what is 1 Peter all about? And um, we're going to do some little bits of group stuff, but we've only got 45 minutes in total. So two or three minutes, very quickly, what is 1 Peter all about? Over to you, and then I'll call you back. Okay, let's come back together again. It's frustrating, isn't it, when you're getting into a good conversation and then the group leader says, let's stop. Um, but um, part of what, what we're doing at the moment is just getting our minds in gear and um, even, even partly, um, I don't know if you do this with your small groups, uh, sometimes it's just helping people to see what they don't know as well as what they do know. And, they, oh, whatever. and then when you do teach them stuff, they go, oh, okay, I never knew that, you see. So uh, it's a bit of a ploy. Um, but uh, hopefully you've got your mind in gear. If you've um, looked at all on the website, then uh, that should give you a bit of an overview about 1 Peter, as I've done that sort of little uh, video. And, um, and of course, if you came uh, last Sunday or heard the talk from last Sunday, then you should have a pretty good idea. Um, 1 Peter is all about suffering. Um, there's a lot of other things that we're going to say this morning. There's lots of other things that you probably have said uh, but it's all about suffering. And uh, you'll see suffering coming all the way through. Um, have a look down to chapter 1, verse 6, um, if you've not seen this verse, a crucial verse. Um, uh, Peter, in verses 3 to 5, he's talking about the great inheritance that we have um, to come, the eternal inheritance to come. He says, rejoice in that. We'll see this uh, tomorrow evening. This will be the second of our studies. Um, rejoice in this great eternal inheritance. Um, that will keep you going um, in suffering. Um, and, um, and, it, and then in, in verse 6 he says, In this, in this great inheritance that you have, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's a key verse right up front, uh, telling us what's going on. And as you read through, we'll do it a bit this morning, you'll see suffering coming again and again. But I want to ask this morning, and I think this is really important for our small groups. This is probably more important. I've got to make sure I do it as I preach it. But this is probably more important for you in small groups than for me to keep remembering. I'll tell you why in a moment. I want to ask what kind of suffering. You see, I want you to be beware and also be sharp in your leading of your Bible studies. By the way, when I say be sharp, I don't mean be sharp with people in the negative way. Um, I mean be sharp in your thinking. Um, you know how, um, how if you have a sharp knife uh, and you take it to your fruit in the morning, I always have some fruit on my breakfast, if the, sh- if the, if the knife is blunt, it's hopeless. Um, I can't get anywhere. And actually I end up hurting myself because I you know, sort of slip off. But in that sense, be sharp. It cuts through the confusion. It kind of gets the job done. In that sense, be sharp in your thinking. Um, and I want you to be sharp in your studies when it comes to what kind of suffering, because it is my hunch, well, it's more than a hunch, um, in that uh, you know, I've kind of done Bible studies for long enough, and uh, as you have as well. Start talking about, some, uh, about suffering, and some people will think only about their aches and pains. And now, look, I don't want to say that aches and pains are not things we need to deal with. Some people will have very real and very specific emotional and physical suffering issues they're going through. So I'm not, I'm not putting those down. But that kind of suffering, and indeed much suffering, comes to us just because we live in a fallen world. Not because we're Christian. Uh, we're suffering things that other people will suffer as well. Now, Peter is not dealing with that kind of suffering primarily. Now, for sure, there's going to be a whole load of things we learn that, that are transferable, that you can say, okay, this is, this is true if somebody's suffering, uh, you know, some aches and pains. 
so, for example, tomorrow evening, full of my, full in my head at the moment, we'll be thinking about the great eternal hope that we have. Well, of course, that's brilliant to hang on to when you're suffering in your body because you're just because you're ill, uh, you're dying, not not because you're suffering for being a Christian, just because you're a human being who suffers. It's great to think of that thing, but that's not Peter's primary aim. And I think that's quite 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 important that we that we that we make the distinction. Um, otherwise, what you'll find your Bible studies will end up in is really kind of it'll they could become quite sort of selfish and introspective. Everybody just talking about their personal physical sufferings, particularly if you have an older group. Um, so, secondly, uh, I think uh, in terms of what kind of suffering, avoid um, majoring your discussion on suffering that our brothers and sisters are facing in Iraq and Syria at the moment. Again, don't mishear me, that is very, very important. Um, but here's the thing if that is where you're, the focus of your Bible study, it's not that you can't ever take examples from there, but if that is the focus of your Bible study, this letter will feel quite irrelevant to us here in Britain. Because we're not suffering that kind of suffering. It's not as extreme here as it is for them. So I'm not saying don't talk about that, but I'm saying if that's all you do, if that's all the application, all the all, people will go, yeah, well, okay, I'll pray for them, but they'll never apply it to themselves in the same way. And here's the big point and the main reason for me saying that last thing about not majoring on Iraq and Syria. Peter is addressing precisely the kind of suffering that we are suffering. As you read through the letter, you'll see you'll not read of any Christians being killed for their faith. There's no mention of Christians being imprisoned. There's no mention of systematic state persecution. Now, of course, in other letters in the Bible, you do read of exactly that. In Hebrews, we read of Christians who have gone to prison. Uh, in um, in those early letters in, in, in Revelation, you hear of Christians being killed for their faith. So, so sometimes that, when that is happening, the, the Bible writers are quite happy to talk about it. But Peter doesn't mention it. So Peter is experiencing or talking to, to, to Christians who are experiencing what I call low-level persecution. The very sort of thing that we are experiencing here in 21st century Britain. So when I say don't major on Iraq, it's not because I'm, I'm not interested in that. It's because I'm saying that this is being sharp. It, 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 it's actually not, that's not what Peter is primarily writing into, even though, of course, many of the things that he writes will be true of that situation as well. But here's the thing. It will make it far more uh, pertinent to your groups if you keep remembering the situation Peter was writing into, because it's just like our situation. Suffering because you're Christian, not losing your life necessarily, probably not, not, um, not being imprisoned, uh, not having the state hounding you, but the sort of stuff that we're suffering. So uh, it would be great now, before we move on from what kind of suffering, for you in your groups to discuss the sort of kind of suffering we're suffering here in 21st century Britain. Um, suffering, listen, just because we're Christian. Be careful. Sometimes we think we're suffering because we're Christian. We're actually suffering because we're a pain in the neck. <laughs> so some people in your group say, oh yeah, I'm suffering this. You say, you might take it to one side and say, it might just be because, um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'll leave that to you. Um, and there's always a pastor worker to turn to if you need to, to help you. 
Uh, why don't you just have a little moment talking, because I think this is really important. If you can get this really clear, all the kinds of sufferings that we have in Britain because we're Christian now, th- this will be really good for you to keep drawing on uh, through, um, uh, through the studies in the next, uh, next few weeks. So I'll give you um, a few moments to, to think about that. Go. Okay, I'm going to encourage you to uh, come back together, if I may. Um, let's, um, let's have some feedback on that. And while we're having feedback, I think what I'm going to do, I, I don't have a pen hand, but I'm going to make a mental note of everything you say. This is not a bad thing to do from time to time with your co-leaders, um, just to sit down in a few weeks' time and say, you know, what, what, is, what is the sort of suffering we're suffering? And so it will help you to keep drawing out the application because uh, sometimes people won't even realise that that's how they are suffering or that's how it's, that's where it's going now that's the trajectory for us in, in this country so any, um, any thoughts how, how are we suffering, low level suffering it's going to be great for me, I'll be able to have loads of application points through, this, through the service oh I'll have to think, think about it all myself then. suffering at work in what Yeah, it's very helpful. So Alison's saying at work, and particularly when you're talking about the issues that are in the world, and that, I, I ask that's huge. Uh, transfer work to Schoolgate, uh, friends, uh, socially. When you're talking about the issues you're talking about, you're not actually going out into the world to kind of make a big deal, but it comes up in conversation, doesn't it? And you've got a choice at that moment just to be quiet and say nothing, or to say something sort of carefully, thoughtfully, well-considered, People won't like what we what we stand for. Very different from you know 50, 60, 60 years ago, my parents' generation, um, where if you had Christian views on things, most of them certainly morally were pretty much in line with with the uh, the nation that, that, that they were living in. Isn't that right? So they they actually didn't look especially Christian in their views. They just looked ordinary. You know, ordinary. That was the kind of mainstream view. So yeah, that's a big one. Other things? And, and I think, I think, interestingly, the word—I mean, I will use the word persecuted from time to time in my sermons. But really, the word suffering is interesting because you're suffering. You're not necessarily being persecuted, but you're suffering because 
you're being not even not even hugely ostracised, but you you you're just there. You know, you are as we will we were thinking last last Sunday evening, and you know, and this is a theme that we'll we'll see in a moment. You feel like an alien and a stranger in this world, don't you? You just don't feel you fit. Um, but I thought we ca- oh, I kind of feel like I'm a bit of a foreigner now. So yeah, so hopefully one Peter will help us with that. Well, that's interesting, and it'll be really important, won't it, for us sometimes as adults, if we have in the adult groups, if we have children, to be help to be you know thinking about how we can help our children through these situations. We may not be feeling it so acutely, but they will be. Um, well, I mean, we do feel it acutely, but they will feel they will feel it more acutely because you know peer pressure is so important, and having friends is so important, and, and they will just feel as if they're not normal. They're they're a bit of a they're a bit of a stranger. Same thing, we'll hear that again and again. Paul, one more and then we'll, we'll move on. I agree with what Lauren has just said, but I, I, I hope this is helpful. But I do think we need to be a little bit careful of thinking that we're the only ones that there's no tolerance. Yep. Because there's very little tolerance in this country for the Muslim faith. Yep. But the difference is there's a great fear of the Muslim faith yep. around, which we don't suffer. Yep. Many people are frightened of Christians. Yeah. Um, I think there's a distinction there. Yeah. That's right. That's helpful. Thank you. Well, that, that's a useful. Sorry, I mean, I'd love to spend some more time. We could spend, you know, another hour on that, be valuable, but we don't have that. Uh, good thing to do in your groups just to keep talking about all the sorts of things um, and, and to be really teasing out with the groups, um, you know, wh- where, where are these, what we might call clash points between ourselves and, and, and the world. Uh, so, uh, what are going to be the aim of our studies? Uh, well, we don't have to work that out ourselves, uh, Peter tells us. Um, uh, if you turn to chapter 5, verse 12, um, Peter is telling us how to go through, how to keep going in and how to, how to go through low-level suffering. Um, chapter 5, verse 12, it's lovely when you read a part of the Bible that tells you why it's been written. You don't have to work it out yourself. Um, Peter writes, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly. I always think I'd like to have seen a long one, um, but uh, there we are. Uh, he obviously thought it wasn't very long. I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Uh, very simply, this is true of all Bible study. The aim of our study should be uh, the aim of the letter or of the, the book that we're, uh, that we're uh, studying. So each study should leave us feeling taught, equipped and encouraged to be able to stand fast in the true grace of God. That doesn't mean that there won't ever be any challenge or rebuke. There will be. But the, the overall, what, where I want to get to by December in terms of the preaching and, and I guess with our small groups as well, is for us to feel encouraged to stand up in the true grace of God. 
Um, I don't want people to feel that they're rubbish Christians who, uh, you know, are just getting everything wrong. Now, of course, sorry, I was going to say if they are rubbish Christians who are just getting everything wrong, they will feel like that. But you know what I'm saying, you know, the word of God will do its work if people are just being deliberately disobedient. But I don't think that's what most people at Forward are attempting to do. I think most people at Forward, I'm, I'm not naive, but we're, we're trying to do, we're trying to live the Christian life. And I think most people in your group are going to be trying to live the Christian life. There might be the odd person here and there who are deliberately disobeying the Lord. They will be challenged just as you read the word. But, but to kind of do that work of encouraging them. Come on. This is worth standing firm. This is worth standing up for Christ, even though it's going to be tough. That's kind of what we ought to get out of, out of this. Now, note the phrase, which I haven't dealt with at all yet, uh, either in the little video or last week, and I will leave it until chapter 5, but I think it's until I preach on chapter 5. Note note the phrase in verse 12, this is the true grace of God. I think this is very important and crucial again for us in 21st century uh, British Christianity. This is the point. The true grace of God, as shown us here in 1 Peter, is not a trouble-free life. It's not a suffering-free existence. This is very important because people in the wider church, and it's evident in our own church family to a certain extent, think that the Christian God offers a life of deliverance from suffering. Now, of course, people might not actually put it like that, but that is why some people um, uh, are rocked and um, surprised when they go through times of trouble and why they ask the why question why is this happening to me basically that means why is it happening to me I'm a Christian who's tried to serve the Lord Jesus because in my mind I think the grace of God means that I shouldn't suffer do you see that's why that why question comes out now I look um, I might some, I might have some terrible suffering Later on today, tomorrow might be the rest of my life, and I might ask the why question. I'm not saying that doesn't mean I'm, it doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. I'm just saying this book will help us see what the true grace of God is, and it's not a trouble-free existence because that isn't what this teaches. People are suffering; they are going to suffer. Um, look forward to heaven, and this is how you cope with the suffering in the meantime. It's basically what it does. Um, so we're taught to stand fast, 5.12, um, in the true grace of God. No promise in this letter of deliverance from suffering, but we will be equipped to stand in it and, and through it. And we'll be taught how to live good lives through suffering. Um, so I think this letter should reshape our thinking on that very issue, which will be very, very useful um, and if not a little uh, challenging. Let me give you one little example, and we'll come back to this in a moment, but you'll see it. I've put it on the, on the handout there. Um, right the way through this letter, we see this phrase, suffering now, glory later. Let me, let me, I mean, let's have a look at these verses. They're in front of you on the handout, but it's worth looking at. Uh, chapter 1, verse 11 is the first one. Uh, verses 10 to, 10 to 12 are fascinating. Um, you can easily get bogged down in how interesting they are theologically. Uh, for now, um, I think it's doing one or two things, but for now, notice in verse 11, um, uh, Peter is talking about the, the prophets who were trying to uh, 
find out about the grace of God, the time that it would come, when it would happen, all about it. And um, he says, verse 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, really important here. He's saying Jesus suffered and uh, only then went to glory. Suffering first, glory later. And you'll see that Jesus in chapter 2 is used as an example, uh, uh, as the pattern for the Christian life. Uh, you'll see that um, in, in, in chapter uh, end of chapter 2. But that suffering now, glory later theme comes again. You'll see it in chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, I'll read from verse 12. I love these verses. These are particularly important. And again, we're, we're, we're ahead of where we need to be. But uh, uh, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? When you suffer, we all say, oh, why is this happening to me? No, I don't think anything strange has happened to you. This is just how it works. This is the Christian life. Nothing strange happening to you. But, verse 13, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Suffering now, glory later. Glory is to be revealed. You don't have it yet. Now you'll see the same in chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings. And one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. See, when you see these phrases being used again and again, you begin to see that we've got to uh, make some connection with them. And the same in chapter 5, verse 10, although it's the other way around. Uh, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. There's glory after you've suffered a little while. I'll come back to the little while in a moment. But um, do you see the pattern of the Christian life follows the pattern of Christ's life. Suffering comes first and is only then followed by glory. Um, why have I done that with you now, although it's a bit later on in the handout as well? Because I want to show you that, um, that the true grace of God is exactly that. It is about suffering. And the true grace of God gives me the great, great glories of eternity. But I can't drag those promises into the present. Some promises are for the future, not for now. Uh, and now I have to suffer. Those future promises are really important for me. Because they keep me going in the present. It's not like they have nothing to do with now. I just I haven't got them all yet. I know I'm going to have them. That's tomorrow's sermon, so I will stop there. Uh, everybody okay so far? Any questions? Golly, we're, we've only got a quarter now left. No questions. Great. Uh, let's have a look at the structure and the key verses. Um, sorry, this is... It, a lot of people sort of... Switch off at structure. They go, oh, structure. Boring. And well, it isn't. It's really important. So I'll try and get through it quickly. Anyway, chapter, chapter, 11, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 are the key verses. And um, uh, so you might like to turn to 11 and 12. We'll look at them in just a moment. I think the way the book works is relatively straightforward. Um, I'm sure that you could do a PhD. I'm sure people have done PhD. Well, I couldn't. I'm not intelligent enough. But I'm sure people have done intelli- PhDs on you know, the structure and everything of of 1 Peter, and you can read all the commentaries. But I reckon it's relatively straightforward. I think it works like this. From chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 2, verse 10, Peter encourages his readers by telling them what they have and who they are. This is a bit simple, but I I think it is, I still still think it's basically um, how it works. So we'll see in chapter 1, We have a great inheritance. We have a wonderful future in Christ. We are God's people. We saw that last week, didn't we, when we were preaching. The very first thing he said, to God's elect, 
Well, we'll see that again being worked out in chapter 2. Who you are. You are God's people. Um, Great inheritance. Um, And as God's people, you have a responsibility to to declare the praises of God in a dark and rebellious world. That's kind of what happens in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 3 to chapter 2, verse 10. Um, Then in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, we have a summary of what, what, what we are and what is expected of us. And then the rest of the letter, we have kind of instruction on how to work out how to live such good lives among the pagans that they will want to become Christians themselves. So you see the first bit, this is, this is what you have and what you are. Second bit, so now let's see how you live that out, that, that kind of those privileges and responsibilities of who you are. See how you should live that out um, while you're suffering. That doesn't mean that the first bit has no application, has massive application. Just the second bit is kind of very much on the, the living out in the world what you are. Okay? Um, now, uh, in, 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 uh, this is, I think, where I'm kind of, I'm going to move away from structure and key verses. But because the key verses are 11 and 12, I think they help us with, with really trying to really get down to a, and a nugget what we're going to keep engaging with as we go through uh, 1 Peter. So let's look at verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In this um, situation of, of what I've called low-level suffering... Um, I think that one of the things that I've been struck by as I've rethought one, Peter, um, over the summer is the temptation for Christians is not to give up the Christian life. Now, there may be some who suffer and they want to give up the Christian life, but I think for most Christians, for me, when I get a bit of suffering, I don't think I'm going to give up the Christian life, and whether you do. I mean, I don't get a lot of suffering. Remember, this low-level suffering, this kind of suffering. I don't think I'm going to give it all up then. I think to myself... Um, I'll go quiet, just won't mention it again, because I want an easy life. I'll do anything for an easy life. I'd like to be in bed now, because I'm lazy. I mean, I'm enjoying spending time with you, but you know what I'm saying. Right, I stick to the script, I shouldn't have said that. Um, so again, we don't read here, as we do in, re- in Hebrews, uh, I urge you not to drift away. They're not drifting away from the Christian faith. Um... And uh, 2 Peter writes about people wandering away from the faith. They're not doing that either. They're just keeping quiet. Um, Blending in with the world. So they don't look so different, so they don't get a hard time. Uh, Or, of course, as some people have done through history, withdrawing from the world. Again, I think this is a danger for us. We don't actually fully withdraw with the world. We're not like, um, you know, those those aesthetics and, you know, and, and monks who sort of just sort of you know, just go off and, and have nothing to do with it. We don't quite do that, but we just kind of spend all our time with Christians. Because it's too hard being with unbelievers, because it, it's just tough. You see, that's the sort of thing. Oh, the world just keeps getting on at me. I, well, I'll go to... Now, there needs to be a sense in it. We're going to learn that we should be amongst each other to encourage each other. But do you see the point? We completely withdraw. That's the danger, isn't it? Again, I think this is quite important in your, in your Bible studies to, see, to help people see what they are likely to be doing when they get a hard time. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say anything. You know, as Alison just said, 
she's at work and something comes up about you know what Chris, you know what people believe about things. I'm not going to contribute to that because I know it's going to give me a hard time. Peter won't let us do that, but that's our that's our temptation. I'm just going to spend all my time with Christians. I'm not going to spend any more time with unbelievers because I see see the thing, isn't that right? That's kind of the temptation. Or of course the other temptation is to get really angry and just be a sort of fighter, angry person against the world. Everything in the world's wrong. That's not that's not true either. Uh, so, um, so that's what Peter is doing in, in, in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Um, and I really kind of got this from, from Vaughan Roberts, um, these three things on the handout. In he, he highlights three dangers. Enculturation, in other words, to become like the culture. That way we'll not suffer. Uh, infuriation, to be angry at the world because we suffer and to fight against everything. Everything's wrong. Or intimidation to withdraw from the world, to be quiet about our faith in Christ, and just to batten down the hatches um, and spend all our time in our Christian ghettos, and in that way protect ourselves from the suffering of the world. Now you'll see in verse 11 and 12, he deals with all those things. To enculturation, Peter says, no, verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Don't just sort of be sinful, don't just... Because, you know, sort of, you know, not standing up for Christ is kind of really, really like being sinful, really. Uh, just becoming like the world is being sinful, isn't it? I mean, eventually, well, you'll become sinful. And that will do your soul no good. Don't do that. Uh, to infuriation, Peter says, no, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. So live a good life. Live a life that is attractive to unbelievers. Not an aggressive, not being aggressive to unbelievers. And to intimidation, Peter says, no, don't withdraw, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. Live among them. And don't just spend all your time in your Christian ghetto. Now, if these are the way that uh, we are most likely to falter as we suffer for our faith, then um, those are the points of application we want to keep in mind as we lead our studies. So if those really are the key verses, I mean, I may be wrong, but I think they're, they're central key verses, we will keep coming back to those kind of thoughts in our Bible studies, which will be very helpful. Keep saying to people, so in view of what we learned, looked at today, what are you most likely to do? Yeah, I go quiet. I get angry. I just want to spend time with Christians. Okay, let's see how we can overcome that. Let's make that a prayer point. You see the point? You've got that in your mind. You can really, really tease out the application. Okay, eight minutes. I think we can do this. Uh, well, not least of all, because the key themes I'm going to run through quickly. Um, Indeed, I don't need to do much more than show you what's on here. Um, we are aliens and strangers in the world. You'll see the, the references there. Um, we don't feel as if we belong. We've already kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, we can expect to be rejected now. Okay, so, uh, so keep thinking about what it, what it feels like to be a foreigner. Uh, and, uh, and that is, again, meant to be an encouragement. You are a stranger in the world. That is actually what you are. So that is how it's going to be. You've got any brand new Christians in your, in your, uh, in your groups, it would be great to remind them of this or to teach them. They might not even realise this. You know, they'll come and they'll say, oh, it's quite hard being a Christian, isn't it? You say, yep, it's because you're in a different, you're part of a different, uh, ident- you have a different identity now. I was going to say different nationality, but I, I'm afraid that's a, that's too political, isn't it? At the moment, I'm not going there. 
you know, with the whole Scottish English thing, especially with our brother over there who lives in England and is a Scot and doesn't know what he ought to be. And, you know. <laughs> Sorry, that was unnecessary, wasn't it? <laughs> doesn't deserve it. Anyway, we are aliens and strange in the world. Um, and, um, and so we will suffer now. And glory will come later. We've already touched on that. Now, glory is something that is, is something to look forward to. It's huge in 1 Peter. You'll see again the references on there. Um, uh, it, it talks about um, uh, glory at the return of Christ. But again, to enter into that glory, we suffer first. Um, and we suffer for a little while. Our suffering is described... Um, as short term, not because it means that you might only have a few years of suffering, but because you might have a lifetime of suffering, but in the light of glory, Peter's word, in the light of eternity, it's only a little while. Now that's quite hard to say. You know, if somebody really is suffering all their lives for being a Christian, I'm not going to go around saying, oh, it's only a little while, don't worry about it, mate. But Peter's kind of doing that in that he's saying, just look at it in the light of eternity and then you realise that it's okay. So I don't say it lightly, but, I, but, it, but it's kind of, that's, that's how he's using that phrase. Um, and I, I'm convinced of that because we haven't got time to look at it, but in those two occasions when he does talk about a little while, both times it is, he's talking about glory. He's talking about eternity each time. So I think that's how you come to that conclusion. So we suffer now, um, we suffer for a little while, and so we rejoice in and look forward to the future when Christ is revealed. Again, it's an interesting phrase, um, it's not that it's only here in 1 Peter, but when Christ is revealed um, is the phrase when glory's going to come, uh, when, you know, when Jesus will, will, will come back, but that's, uh, that's Peter's language. And with the future hope, we see Jesus as precious. Now, I think this is really important. I'm going to say a couple of sentences on this. Um, Jesus is precious. He is more precious than anything else this world affords. Why is that so important? Because everything else in this world that we love and like, everything else we see as precious, are the things that we're going to lose out on if we stand up for Christ. You see, you think about all the precious things to you. I think that's why he uses this language, precious, of Jesus. Because you think, what's precious to me... All the things in this life, those are things I'm likely to lose out on if I stand up for Christ. So I've got to see Jesus as precious, indeed as more precious than everything else. Because I'm going to have a choice. If I'm going to stand for him, I'm going to lose out on these other precious things. We'll see that tomorrow, as uh, tomorrow evening. We'll see that in, in the first chapter again. Um, so we see Jesus as precious And meanwhile, until Jesus is revealed, we are to live such good lives in the world. Um, Even if it means suffering for doing good, we must do it in a way that it means that people have nothing to say against us. I haven't put that reference down, but uh, there's references of people accusing us of doing wrong, uh, even though we've done good. Um, And we do it so that others may want to follow Christ themselves. 
that's what, what we're trying to do. We're trying to live such a good life among the pagans, chapter 2, verse 12, that even though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God in the day that he visits us. In other words, when, when, when God comes, they will be glorifying him. Um, and how do we live this exceptional life of goodness? Well, it will be seen in the life of submission. So all the way from chapter 2, verse 13, through to chapter 3, verse 7, it's all about submission. So that will be really important. Um, and brotherly love is very important as well. So even though I've said we don't want to withdraw into our Christian ghettos, the way we love one another is crucial. You can work it out, can't you? Um, uh, with really, I'm going to say in a moment we should keep asking the why question. I asked the why question of brotherly love. Why does he keep talking about being, uh, loving our, our brethren? Why? Because when you're suffering, you do need to be loved by, by the Christians, don't you? you know, I, I know when I, particularly when I was working in the newspaper industry, when I'd, when I'd have a hard time for the whole week, um, just sometimes because life was hard, but, but just you know, knowing that I just didn't fit in because I'm an alien and stranger, um, hopefully not because I was a pain in the neck, and it was just hard. And I love to be with the Christians at a Bible study on a Friday night. I just so look forward to it. Of course I did. That's how it should be. But also there's this call to love the, love the, love the, love the brethren because um, um, have you noticed this thing? That when, when, there's, when the pressure is on, we will, work, we will try to work out how, how we respond and we will draw the line in the sand at different times. Let me be, I'm not being deliberately controversial here. It's just, this is just an issue that is kind of out there at the moment uh, for me. Um, you know, when, when should somebody leave the church of me? When should a church leave the church of me? I'm not thinking of doing that, okay? I don't want you to start. Just saying that, now there's, there's some people in the constituency I, I move in who say we should, we should have left a long time ago or should we leave at this point? Others say I'll never leave. Now, I think they're all brothers who are trying to work out being faithful to the gospel but here's the thing under when you're suffering when it's tough when when you're being squeezed if somebody leaves there and somebody else leaves there and somebody else says i'll never leave you can start having a go at each other you see so you'll have bible study and some say you know well we suffer on this issue and you say well i think we should draw the line in the sand there i think we should draw the line in the sand there i think we draw a line in the sand there and you see and that's when you need to say well peter says love one another because you're tempted not to at that point, because you know you feel under pressure, and then you start getting at each other. You see how it works. So if you keep asking the why does he write this question, then that really helps. And that's what I'm going to do finally. Um, I was going to do some small group work, um, but uh, I've got uh, ten seconds to do this, so can't do that. Um, but I, I, can I have five minutes, um, Pete? Can I take five? Is that all right? He, he can't say no, can he? I'm his boss. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I like Pete, he's great. Oh, my wife has had enough. There we are. Maybe I should stop right now. No, it's okay. This was prearranged. He says, making it up as he goes along. No, it wasn't, I did. Anyway, um, look, I, I want to say, if you keep asking the why question, so why, 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 not why, 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 Delilah, but why, 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 oh, Peter, is the question you want to keep asking. Um, sorry, for those of you who don't know why, 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 Delilah, you're a bit young, you'll have to ask someone else. But anyway, it means something to the, the grey-haired people here. 
Um, look, I'm not having a go at anybody. I'm not having a go at anybody. Now, calm down. I've just used a minute of myself by sort of doing stand-up. Um, right, um, why? I want you to ask the question why right through your Bible studies. Um, the first thing in a Bible study, we're going to learn more of this from Paul, but the first thing in a Bible study, of course, is to understand what this says. If you don't understand what it says, if you don't get what it says right, you won't get the Bible study right, will you? Um, so you've got to make sure you read it properly, that you understand it in its context, you understand what the text is saying, all of that. You've got to do that. But once you're clear on that, then I find the most important question I ask myself in the study is why? Now, I understand what it says. Now, why does it say that? So let me go back to last week's example when we looked at chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 1. The first thing we read is to God's elect. Now, it's not complicated working out what it says. It's saying this is written to God's elect. That didn't take me long. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. I was well on on Monday morning in my Bible study doing that bit. But now I thought, why does he say that? Why is that the first thing he says to people who are suffering? Why does he say to God's elect? Again, you'll have heard the sermon, uh, some of you, maybe all of you. He, he does it because... Um, why does he do it? Let me think. He does it because uh, they would have felt that they weren't loved by God. They were wondering if they really were God's people, do you see? Uh, you can tease that out more, think about it more. As soon as you ask the why question, you've got the application. You don't just go into a Bible study and say, we're God's elect, da 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 uh, what should we say about that? I'm not sure where you can have a long theological discussion about election and all of that. That's not the point at all, is it? He's putting it here to encourage. We know that, chapter 5, verse 12. I'm writing to encourage you to stand first, fast in the true grace of God. What's the first thing I need to do is I need to know I'm one of God's people. So you're suffering, but you're one of God's people. Okay, it's not that I'm not one of God's. It's not that I'm doing something wrong then. No, you are God's people. Great. Okay. He's going to go on to say, you know, it's normal for God's people to suffer. But just, do you see how exciting that is? How, how it makes application instantly. I need to hear that if I'm suffering. I am one of God's people. Brilliant. It's not that I'm not. And how good that I am. Right, I'm one of God's people suffering. How am I supposed to live? Come on, tell me, Peter. Let me do one more of those. Again, I was going to do this in, in a small group, but let me do one, one more of those. Um, have a look down to um, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse... Um, so here's what it says um, basically verse 3 praise God you have a wonderful future um, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ you have a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ verse 4 into an inheritance a great future that can never perish spoil or fade now, when I read those words, perish, spoil, or fade, I just want to ask the question. First, I've got to understand what that's saying. I think I've understood what it's saying. Now, I've got to ask, why does he say that our inheritance will never perish, spoil, or fade? In some ways, he didn't need to say it. He could have just said, um, uh, you've got a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and in, into an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Why does he say this inheritance will never perish, spoil, or fade? If I ask the why question, it begins to open up application. Why is that? Because... Oh, everything in this life does perish, spoil, or fade. Um, you know how it is. You get you get some um, get a new car, and it's lovely, isn't it? And you you feel you feel feel like a million dollars as you're driving along in your new car, and you think everybody's looking at me now. And even if it's not a brand new car, it's just new to you. You you know you look at it; it's all shiny. And then, as ours did a few months back, it blows up, <laughs> and I wasn't so enamoured by it anymore. 
But I remembered when we first got, not as a new car, oh, great car, blown up now, smoke coming out of the, out of the engine, gone to, the, gone to the, that great scrapyard in the sky. <laughs> and uh, it's true of everything, isn't it? Um, you buy some new clothes and you, you feel great. And then in no time at all, they're out of date. Uh, and um, you buy your, your iPhone your, you remember when you first got your iPhone 3GS and you thought wow great look. you know made sure everybody could see it now people look at it <laughs> 3GS that's right I'll keep your mind in the pocket, in my pocket. Uh, or you go on your holiday you so look forward to your holiday and, uh, and, and you enjoy your holiday and then in no time the effects fade Suntan fades, and the, uh, you know the benefit of it fades. See, everything in this life perishes, spoils, or fades. Why does he write this? He says, "Look, you're going to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade." Why is that so important? Again, keep asking the why question. Why? Because I've got a choice if I'm going to stand up for Christ. Uh, I, if I'm going to stand up for Christ, I'm going to lose out on some of those things. This might cost me money, which means I won't be able to buy the new clothes, and the new car, and the holiday, and the iPhone. Am I sure that those things perish, spoil, or fade? Yeah, yeah, they do, don't they? This never does. That helps me to make the choice to stand for the thing that is right, to stand for Christ, because I've got something that will never perish, spoil, or fade, and I'm going to choose that over this. See? Now, I could do that again and again with lots of things, um, and uh, you'll see what I was going to do from the handout. If you keep asking the why question, it will really um, open up all Bible studies. And finally, having run over now by an additional two minutes asking for, but this will take only a few moments. My biggest appeal for this term, um, and indeed as you begin this new cycle of, of small groups, is in your Bible study, don't spend all your time on detailed exposition. Handle the text faithfully, but don't try and spend, say, the hour that you've, you've um, put by for the Bible study part. Don't try and spend all the hour poring over every final detail of the text and doing countless cross-references. Because that will be fascinating, but we'll never grow as Christians. We'll just get what John Stock calls tadpole Christians, all head. We want to be growing to love Christ more and to be working out what it means to be Christian. So rather, let me suggest that you encourage people to listen to the sermon, either to come or online if they can't come. Hopefully I'll have handled the passage well. And then, yes, do, do the details of the passage, but, but not in such detail that you have no time to kind of do that why question and to, do, and to tease out the application and to chase through the application and almost to not let people off the hook. So for any fisherman here, just imagine that, you know, as you're looking at one Peter, um, the fish have sort of hooked, got hooked. They've, they've heard this, they thought, that's so good. And then what they're going to do, because we're all like this, we're going to wriggle and wriggle and wriggle and try and get off, aren't we? So that we can go back into our sea and run our own way. Peter has caught us with some things he says. And uh, we're going to wait and say, don't let them get off the hook. Don't now spend loads of time in detail, in, in ridiculous detailed exposition that means that you don't end up saying, what's that going to look like in my life, in the workplace, 
at the school gate, teaching their children. Um, uh, in my social context, uh, with my bank balance, and so on and so forth. And I think if we do that, that will really help lives to be, to be changed. Pete, sorry, thank you very much.